my point. <laughs> it's my favorite thing when the kids are gone. No, Sam and I, some of you parents, you may be able to resonate with this. Sam and I were talking the other night. We're like, we love Sammy so much, and somehow we love him more when he's asleep or away from us. <laughs> and then when he's with us, we remember that we love him and that parenting is hard. So, yeah. Anyway. During this season of epiphany, of aha moments, we've been studying together the seven signs that Jesus does in the Gospel of John. Other Gospels call them miracles, but John never calls them miracles. He calls them signs, because they are about so much more than the act itself. The point of the sign is not what Jesus does. The point of the sign is that it points to something about who Jesus is. The first and the second ones that we have already looked at both resulted in deeper trust on the part of people who witnessed the signs. But not everyone who sees a sign increases their trust in Jesus, do they? even now. Because some people can't see past the sign. Some people are interested in the miracle for its own sake. And that's the problem with miracles. They never quite satisfy us because human beings are silly creatures with short memories. If we get what we want this time, then we're happy. But if we don't get what we want next time, we're out. Unless we have a relationship of active trust with the God of the miracle, the miracle itself will never be enough for us. We see that pattern in the Gospel of John. Some people see a miracle and it sparks a deeper active trust in the one who did the miracle. Some people see a miracle and they just want to see another one. Like some kind of divine Vegas show. And that's what we're going to see in this morning's story. John's gospel includes seven specific signs, but it also includes lots of references to Jesus doing other signs that just don't get retold in detail. Apparently, Jesus was doing signs the whole way through his ministry. Jesus was constantly demonstrating who he was, not just what he could do, and inviting people into deeper relationships of active trust. Some people see the signs, and their lives have more meaning because they then live more fully. Some people see the miracles, but miss the signs. This morning, we're going to hear one of the only stories that shows up in all four Gospels. Remember that the early church affirmed four distinct spiritual biographies of Jesus, written by four different people for four different communities of readers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarities. The Gospel of John is very different. And this is a reminder to us that our spiritual ancestors thought that four Gospels were better than one. 
that diversity was better than uniformity. So the story you're going to hear this morning will probably be very familiar, even if you don't know a lot of Bible stories. And I'm going to point out where it's different for some, from some of the other versions that we've heard. So let us listen now for the word and the wisdom of God in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, the thing that happened right before, Jesus went across the Galilee Sea, that is the Tiberias Sea, A large crowd followed him because they had seen the miraculous signs he had done among the sick. The translators added miraculous there. So these people are coming to see what Jesus can do. Jesus went up a mountain and sat there with his disciples. It was nearly time for Passover, the Jewish festival. John is the only one who says that this story happened at Passover. Jesus looked up and saw that the large crowd was coming toward him. And he asked Philip, where will we buy food for all of these people? Jesus said this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. In some of the other stories, this happens near Philip's hometown, which John doesn't say, but that might be why Jesus calls on Philip in this moment. Philip replied, more than half a year's salary worth of food, more than six months' wages worth of food, would not be enough for each person to even have a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said, a youth here has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that for a crowd like this? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. That's 5,000 men which means there were double, if not triple, that many people when you include women and children. Then Jesus took the bread. When he had given thanks, the Greek word there is eucharisto, which is where we get our word eucharist, another name for communion. When Jesus had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. Pause for a moment. This is different and significant. In all the other stories, the disciples distribute the food. Here Jesus distributes the food. When everyone had had plenty to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted or lost. So they gathered them and filled filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that had been left over by those who had eaten didn't gather the fish. That's not going to keep well. Okay, in all the other Gospels, the story stops right here. This is the end of the story. John keeps going and gives us an interpretation and a result, and this is what makes this a sign and not just a miracle. When the people saw that, John, that Jesus had done a miraculous sign, again, the translators added miraculous, they said, this is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. And Jesus understood that they were about to force him to be their king. So he took refuge again, alone, on a mountain. These are the words of God for all people. Thanks be to God. Friends, I grew up in church. I have heard this story, or one of the three other versions of it, I can't tell you how many times, hundreds probably at least. But one thing that I love about the Bible is how it speaks to me. 
Sometimes when I come to a story, I see what I've seen before because I need to be reminded that God is faithful. And sometimes when I come to a story, I see something I've never seen before because I'm different than I was the last time and God is always on the move, meeting me where I am. So this morning, I'd like to share with you what stood out to me when I read the story this week. And I invite you this coming week to take some time to read this story again on your own, maybe a few times, and see what stands out to you. First, the disciples see scarcity. Duh. I've seen that before. In the other three versions of the story, the disciples come to Jesus first and say, send the people away so they can get something to eat somewhere else. In this version, Jesus initiates the conversation. He says, where are we going to buy food for all these people? Here's what I saw this week. Jesus starts with the assumption that the people are going to stay and that they're going to be fed. But Philip, the hometown boy who knows that even if they had that much money, there's nowhere to buy that much bread in this town. Philip says, impossible, can't be done. The story says that Jesus asked that question in order to test Philip. And I invite you to think of this test like an assessment. What is the level of Philip's trust in Jesus? This is not a pass or fail. This is a where are you right now? How far up is his trust dimmer switch, if you were with us last week? Jesus is checking. Turns out, not super high. Andrew fares slightly better. He says they have a little bit, but not enough. The disciples see scarcity. And this week, I wondered how the story might have been different if instead of seeing scarcity, the disciples had anticipated abundance. I struggle with a scarcity mindset. Sam is the brave and creative one in our family, the one with big ideas. And I'm the one who says, oh, but what about that thing? Or we don't have enough of this to do that. Many organizations, including churches who supposedly exist to follow Jesus, struggle with seeing scarcity. Not enough money in the budget to fix the plaster. Not enough teachers for the Sunday school. Not enough time to get that team together. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. We see scarcity. What might happen for us if instead of seeing scarcity, we anticipate abundance? How would our attitudes and our actions shift if we trust that we have more than enough to do anything God calls us to do together? What could God do in us and through us in the world if we assume that with God all things are possible? Not stupidly, not naively, but with hearts and minds full of the kind of trust that leads us to action. All through the Gospels, the disciples see scarcity. Do you know when they start anticipating abundance? It's in the book of Acts. 
after they're filled with the Holy Spirit. All through the book of Acts, spirit-filled followers of Jesus operate in the world with a mindset of trusting God's abundance. They assume that when they pray for people, they will be healed. They assume that they will have enough to sustain the community. They assume that when they are in prison, they will be comforted and fine. They take actions assuming that God is going to show up. Jesus is not around in person to carry them anymore. And so they step forward in humility and hope, empowered by the endlessly creative Holy Spirit, and they change the world. Because instead of seeing scarcity, they anticipate abundance. The second thing I noticed in this story is that Jesus distributes the food and the disciples pick up the leftovers. And at first I wasn't very struck by this. Big deal. In the other versions of the story, the disciples distribute the food because the point of those stories is that God has empowered us to carry out God's work. In this version, Jesus distributes the food because the point is that all abundance has its source in God. That Jesus is God-made flesh, meeting physical and spiritual needs. That all good things come directly from the hand of God to us. Both versions have a true message that we need to hear. What really struck me in this version is how the disciples picked up, pick up the leftovers because Jesus specifically says that nothing must be wasted or lost. Nothing that Jesus gives must be wasted or lost. Now, friends, don't hear that as some big guilt trip because that's not it. If we anticipate abundance and God gives it, let's make sure that it doesn't get wasted or lost. The more we recognize that everything good in the world comes directly from the hand of the all-loving God, the more we want to make sure that that goodness is spread as widely as possible. Friends, if God has given you a gift and God has given everyone a gift, don't Waste it. Take it. Use it. Use it to make your life meaningful and to bless others. Your gift is a little bit of God in you. So don't just let it sit around. So anticipate abundance. Don't waste what God gives. And the last thing that stands out to me is that the people at the end of the story have the right recognition but the wrong reaction. This is what I was talking about at the beginning. How do people react to the miraculous sign? The people in this story saw the sign and they correctly interpreted it. They said, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. That's just a very Jewish way of interpreting Jesus. The Jewish people were expecting a new Moses based on a promise that you can read in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Nobody, nobody in any of the Gospels really understands who Jesus is or what he's doing before the resurrection, but these folks are getting real close. 
They have the right recognition, but the wrong reaction. They recognize that Jesus is sent by God to change the world and lead God's people into a new way of being and living, but their response is to try to force him to be their king, their political king, like overthrow King Herod. They see the signs, they even mostly correctly interpret what the signs mean, but then they respond in a completely inappropriate way. Why? I suggest to you this morning that it is because they don't trust. For these people, seeing the signs did not lead to a deeper trust. So they don't trust that God already has a plan, and it's a good plan. Instead, they want to force Jesus into their mold, into their plan, and accomplish things their way. They want to use Jesus as a means to their own ends. Which, of course, we never do. Without a relationship of active trust, we will just use Jesus as a weapon against the people we don't like. Only with trust can we anticipate abundance and make good use of all of the things that God has already given us. Only with active trust can we do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, not beliefs but actual actions that bring us lasting joy and participate in God's plan to heal the world. Amen. As Brian comes back this morning, I offer you some time for reflection as we always do, which means you may, I invite you to settle in. I've been doing a lot of yoga this week, so if you're sitting all crunched and twisted, I invite you to open that up a little bit. You might want to uncross your arms or legs, find a space that feels grounded. You might want to put your feet flat on the floor. You may even want to sit with your palms up a little bit in a physical attitude of being ready to receive. For you, it might be better to close your eyes and block out distractions, or you might prefer to find something to focus on. personally have felt very convicted this week about whether or not I'm anticipating abundance or if I'm just seeing scarcity. If that resonates with you this morning, I would invite you to take a moment not to not to like think about where in your life you need to anticipate abundance, but take a moment maybe to just feel like what it would feel if you weren't worried about scarcity. If you could just take a breath and unclench all the things that are clenched because you're worried about not enough in whatever area that is.
relationships, finances, the state of the world. Can you feel, can you experience this morning what it would be like to anticipate abundance? So much is possible. say a prayer of closing prayer for us this morning. God of abundance, oh, help us to anticipate what it will be like to step forward with you in trust, ready for what you are going to do. We don't want to waste anything that you've given us. Send us forth. Amen.